Woo! Wow, what a way to start our time together. You can go ahead and be seated and welcome to Crossroads Church. Welcome to those of you here in-house. Welcome to those of you who are engaging digitally. Uh, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here, if we have not met. Hope you had a lot of fun outside at our patio party beforehand. If not, you can on your way out as well. Um, but man, I am just excited to be here this morning with you. And you know, one of the things you may or may not know about me is that I am a terrible person to watch a movie with. Because usually one of two, sometimes both uh, of these things happen. I will either A, fall asleep. It's just, it's just what I do. I don't, I don't know why. If we're watching a movie in the afternoon or evening, there's just no chance. I'm going to fall asleep. You get comfortable. It doesn't matter if there's like explosions and car chases or whatever. It didn't matter. It didn't even have to be a boring movie. I just fall asleep. In fact, one time my wife Renee said, hey, I got a really great movie for us to watch. Uh, it's called Pride and Prejudice. Guess what? That movie is like 13 hours long. I mean, if, if guys, if, you ever, if your wife ever says, hey, let's watch Pride and Prejudice, just run the other way and find something else to do, unless you're ready for a nap, because I took three naps during one movie, because I kept waking up and going, that movie's still going on? Okay, I don't know what's going on. I'll just fall asleep. And then I did, and then I'd wake up later, and it was still going on. This is kind of what happened. So I either fall asleep or I'm totally lost. I, I hold the remote in my hands, and, and when the plot twists, I usually will pause it and say, okay, honey, tell me what's going on. I just don't, I can't follow things very well, and that's usually what happens. In fact, you know, we all love plot twists. In fact, there, there's no good movie out there or good book or anything without a good plot twist. And, and one of the most iconic plot twists in all of cinematic history is represented by this picture right here, right? Where Luke finds out that Darth Vader is who? His father, right? And your minds are blown. I can't believe it. No, right? So today we're looking at a story in the book of Luke, chapter 22, where Jesus introduces a plot twist that if we're not careful, we can kind of miss it. It can kind of just fly over our heads. And so we're in the course of this series. We're going through methodically and slowly through the book of Luke, where we've taken, this is our fifth season now, going through this book. And every, every season we've been looking at who Jesus was, not to just gain more information about him, but we want to know Jesus, that we want to, to know him, because the Jesus that we read about in these pages 2,000 years ago is the same right now. That, that this is what God is like. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. This is, this is him. And so we're going through this book in these seasons because we want to know Jesus because really at Crossroads Church, our number one value is that we are all about Jesus, that everything is all about him, that all of life is about him. And the more we begin to understand that and the more we begin to center our lives on him and who he is and what he does, the better. And so a couple of weeks ago, starting this final season, we looked at this story where Jesus cries, oh, he weeps over Jerusalem because of their unbelief. You know, they were praising him as king, but, but really they had a, a very specific agenda for Jesus. They, they, they wanted him to be their political leader, to free them from Rome, to, to kind of be their good luck charm, to, to make their lives better. But Jesus said, you know what, you're missing me for who I really am. 
And then last week we looked at this idea that, that Jesus tells us to, to, to be ready, to be ready for what's to come, that one day Jesus is going to come back, that this is going to happen, that when his father says, Jesus, go get my children, that he's going to come back, that we're going to see the clouds part, that we're going to see Jesus in the air, that we're going to be caught up to go and be with him. I cannot wait for that day. It's going to happen. Jesus says, be ready, be prepared. And so we're looking at this story today in Luke 22, and it's represented by one of the most famous paintings in all of church history. And this is actually a remake of it because the original is kind of hard to see, but it's the Last Supper. Now you can go on, and you've probably already seen it, the, the parodies made of this painting, right? You got Simpsons, you got South Park, you got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, you could probably find any parody that you would ever want to see. I'm sure Leonardo da Vinci has rolled over in his grave about a thousand times since then. But here's the thing. We're going to be looking at this story because this isn't just a story about a dinner party that Jesus has with his boys, uh, but, but this is where he inserts a huge plot twist. One of the largest, the, the plot twist that changes the course of history. You see, during this last week of Jesus' life, they were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast, a feast called Passover. And Passover is a, is a tradition where the Jews celebrate and remembering God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. That about 1,500 years before this moment, 3,500 years ago for us, the Jews had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God finally decided, you know what, I'm going to get my people out of there. He raises up his man Moses to go and confront Pharaoh. But turns out Pharaoh's a big jerk of a king, doesn't want his people to go because he gets free labor. And so God sends these plagues, right? The 10 plagues. And, and you remember the plagues, like the Nile turning into blood and frogs all over the place and locusts and, and boils on their skin and sickness and all these things. And then finally, finally God says, I'm going to send the angel of death through Egypt. So Israel, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to sacrifice it. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to smear it around the door on the outside of your house. And when you do this, what, what, what that's going to do is that when the angel of death goes through Egypt, he's going to pass over your house. Because otherwise, the firstborn in your house is going to die that night. So sure enough, they go and they sacrifice the lambs and they, they feast on the lambs after they put the blood all over the front door. That night, the angel of death comes through Egypt and kills the firstborn of every house that isn't covered in the lamb's blood. The next morning, Pharaoh freaks out and says, all right, Israel, I'm done with you. I'm done with your God. You guys hit the road and take off. And so they do. Moses leads them out of Egypt. That is what the Passover meal was all about. And every year, the Jews would come together and they would uh, swell. The, the city of Jerusalem would swell 10 times its size for people to celebrate Passover. And so at the beginning of chapter 22, Jesus tells two of his disciples, Peter and John, to go into the city to find this room where they're going to be eating together and to prepare for Passover. Now, to prepare for Passover was a huge deal. There's a lot of preparing that they had to do for it. One of the main things they had to do is they had to go, everybody had to go get a lamb, and then they would take it to the temple. 
And at three o'clock in the afternoon, there at the temple in Jerusalem, the priest would blow what's called a shofar. It's a musical instrument made out of a, a big antler from an animal. He would blow the shofar. At that moment, at three in the afternoon, everybody would take a knife to their lamb's throat and they would sacrifice it, kind of bloody. And what would happen is the priest would collect all the blood in bowls. So you can just imagine this sight. I mean, tens of thousands of lambs, right? And, and then all of this blood, and they would take all this blood and they would throw it at the altar in the temple. Pretty gross. Then everybody would take the lamb and they would skin it. They would give the skin to the owner of the house, wherever they were having their Passover feast, as a gift. And they would take the lamb and they would roast it for dinner. Now, there were quite a few other pieces uh, that, that, had to, that, that were a part of the dinner. Quite a few other pieces that were symbolic and strategic for them to celebrate. Like, for instance, whenever you would have the Passover meal, you would, you would recline at the table. The table was kind of low to the ground, and you would sit purposefully reclining back on some pillows. You see, this was symbolic of the freedom that they have as slaves. They're no longer slaves, that they could sit back in ease. The other piece of, of the meal that had meaning was the, the bitter herbs. At one point in the, the meal, they would eat these bitter herbs, and it would remind them of the bitterness of slavery. They had stewed fruit. And because of its consistency and color, it would remind them of the mud that their forefathers had to make bricks out of for Pharaoh. There were four cups of wine on the table, each representing God's promises of deliverance. There was, of course, the lamb. And there was also unleavened bread, which is just think of like a, a flat bread, like a cracker almost, because they had to leave Egypt so quickly, they didn't have time for the bread to rise. You see, everything in the meal had strict meaning and symbolism. And it was the job of the host, whoever was hosting the meal, it was that person's job to tell the story, to tell the story and to remind everybody of all the symbols that they were participating in throughout the meal. And so here in verse 22, sorry, in verse 14 of chapter 22, this is where it starts. It says this, and so when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not eat. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then this is where Jesus changes the story. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying... Now, what he should have said is, this bread represents how quickly Israel had to leave Egypt, and, and the leaven, it didn't get to rise because they had to leave so fast. But instead of saying that, the host says this, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took an, another cup, and after they had eaten, saying, what he should have said is, this cup is, a, is, is representative of one of the promises that God gave to Israel to deliver them from Egypt. But instead of that, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
Now, see, here's the thing. It, 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 some of you might be feeling like I feel when I watch a movie. Like, okay, hold on, pause. Let's, let's pause the movie. How did, what did I just miss? I feel like something important just happened and I, I don't get it. Well, there's a plot twist. What did I just miss? You see, what Jesus did here for the disciples was this radical hijacking. He took the meal, which had a very specific and distinct meaning for it, and he hijacked it and made it about himself. It, this was earth-shattering. This was mind-blowing for the disciples. And he uses this important phrase here. He says, the blood of the new covenant. My blood is the blood of the new covenant. What does that mean? Well, if we're going to understand what the new covenant means here, we have to understand what the old covenant is. You see, the word covenant is just simply a contractual arrangement between two people that required a binding action from one or both parties. Right? Think of a, a marriage covenant. When you, when you get married, you say promises and you seal the deal. You make a covenant by giving rings, right? And that becomes the symbol of the covenant. You see, the old covenant that Jesus was replacing here is a covenant that God started with Moses. After they had delivered from Egypt and there they are wandering through the wilderness, God decided, I'm going to start a covenant with these people. And I'm going to give Moses what we call the law, so he did. He like gave Moses these hundreds of laws and, and Moses would come down and he'd read the laws to the entire nation of Israel. And after he would, he would read the, the, the law, they would take all of these bowls. We don't know how many, but it's probably somewhere in there, but it's in Exodus. You can go back and read it yourself. They'd take all these bowls, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of bowls, and sacrifice them. He would take the blood and he would throw half of it at the altar and then the other half of it, and just kind of imagine this moment, as the entire nation of Israel was in unison saying, what you have said we will do, he was taking the blood with a branch and he was throwing it on the people. Just imagine, covered in the blood of bulls. You see, that was the sign of the old covenant. That's how it started. But it didn't stop there because from that point on, anytime you uh, wanted to get close to God, you would have to sacrifice. You see, every year there was called the Day of Atonement, and that was the sacrifice for sins. But, but, but throughout the year, as, as life goes on and things come up, if I wanted to just come and worship, I couldn't just come like this and just worship. You see, instead of having a block party out front or a patio party out front, we'd be having a sacrificing party out front. For you to come close to God together, we would have to, to first sacrifice animals that we would come covered in this, this cloak, this covering of a sacrifice. You see, because this represented a couple of things. One, that sin is serious and, and the payment of sin is always, always death. But here's the problem is you see the old covenant, the old law, it was powerless to bring about the change that we need. You see, Paul talks a lot about this, that, that the old law was powerless to do what it needed to do. You see, the old law was, was launched in a sea of animals' blood. But the new covenant, the new covenant that Jesus is introducing in this story was launched in an infinite ocean of his divine blood. And you notice what he says. He says, this is 
my body for you. This is my blood for you. You see, this was, this was also earth shattering because in the old covenant, you didn't sacrifice somebody else's things. You had to go through the work. You had to buy the animals. You had to raise the animals. You had to keep them with you so that when you made a sacrifice, it was your sacrifice. I'm bringing my things to sacrifice. But here Jesus says, this is my body for you, my blood for you. You see what it is, is the perfect lamb, the one who was able to fulfill the law, the law that you and I could not keep sacrificed for you. You see, in the Old Testament, you came with your hands full. You came with your hands full of things to sacrifice and things to offer. In the New Covenant, we come with our hands empty because he's the substitute. He's the one that's paid it. That he's sacrificed himself and changed the story. And if this never happened, if this, if this thing, just imagine, just understand the privilege of what it means to come together as the body of Christ. You see, if this never happened, we wouldn't be doing this without first making sacrifices to come close to God. Now, here's my fear in talking about this today is because if you're like me, when you hear something over and over and over again, we sort of become inoculated to it. Right? And we hear things like this, that, yeah, Jesus gave his life for me. And it sort of starts sounding a little mundane and a little ordinary, if we're honest. But, and here's the thing, is, is if this doesn't sound too good to be true, then you probably don't understand it yet. If this doesn't sound too good to be true... Then you, then you haven't grasped it yet. You know, a few years ago, uh, actually in 2016, um, I, I graduated seminary. Finally, it was a long haul. Some of you know the story, and, and man, my wife is a trooper for kind of putting up with all of that. It was a lot of work for both of us. And finally, I finished it. And what happens after you finish uh, a big degree program for a lot of people like me? You have to start paying for it, right? And so we did. And faithfully, monthly, we would send off a big check to pay for our student loans. And man, it was a, it was a burden. You know what I'm talking about? It was a burden. And we saw like the end of the tunnel, like maybe 10 years away, maybe 15 years away, you know, that, that one day this will no longer be a thing for us and, and we're going to just faithfully pay it off until then. A couple of years ago, <clears throat> a man in our church reached out to me and said, hey, Chris, let's get together. And so we met. And, and he says, Chris, I'm going to ask you a, a personal question. He says, how much money do you still owe on your student loans? And I said, well, that is a personal question. Uh, and so we had a conversation about it. And then he told me, he said, my wife and I, we want to... We, we can't do a lot, but we want to help pay for some of it. And I thought, oh my goodness, like, are you sure? <laughs> like, really? Like, hold on a second. Th this doesn't happen 
in, in normal everyday life. Like, we don't do this. I, I, I'm not related to you. This isn't an inheritance. Like, I haven't done anything to, to earn any of this. What do you mean you want to pay for some of my student loans? What they were considering paying would, would re- alleviate about an entire year's worth of payment for us. I mean, this was life-changing conversation here. So a few weeks went by and I get another call and he says, let's, let's talk again. And so we went and talked and, and he says, Chris, my wife and I have been talking and, and uh, we, we've kind of decided that we, we, can't, we don't want to pay for part of your student loans. And I thought, well, okay. Like I, I wasn't expecting you to do it in the first place, but I totally understand it. And he looks at me and he says, we, we want to pay for all of it. And I just didn't know what to say. I, what, do you, what do you say in that moment? Like, I couldn't breathe. It was, it was like this, come again? Like, what did you just say? You want to do what? You want to you pay for all of it? Like, and it was one of those things that just took me a while for it to sink in. And as I sat there in tears with this man, this kind man, I'm like, why would you do this? And he says, well, you know, we can't do much, but we can do something. And this is what it is. I'm like, you can't do much? Are you kidding me? I got in my truck on my way home and I called Renee and told her and we were just both in tears, just tears of joy, like, I can believe it. And a few weeks later, they came and they met us at our house and they wrote us a check and they rounded it up to the nearest zero. So we actually made $11 more on it. <laughs> but you know, for months after that, I would find myself walking around the house and just and thinking about it, and I would just literally be shaking my head. Like, this isn't right. This, is, this doesn't happen. How can this be true? And then it, then it just continued to settle in. Like, this is true. Like, this happened. And then we get a notice from my student loan saying, paid in full, and it's done, and it's over, and we put it away, and it's gone. Here's the thing. That image... That experience is just like minute fraction of what, of, what it, of what it is that Jesus has done. You see, it doesn't even come close. It doesn't even compare that his blood in the new covenant has paid our debt, that it completely covers us, that, that we can now stand in front of God completely unashamed and blameless and righteous because of what he does. It's the new covenant in his blood that says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus changed the story. He changed it. And he can change yours. Because some of us are still living in that old way. Some of us are there living in that old way. And you know that you're living in the old way. Not because you're bringing animals to sacrifice but because you're worn out. And you're worn out because you're trying really hard to pay. You, you see the flaws in your character. You see the, the mistakes you've made. You, you see the sin in your life, and you've been really trying hard to pay those debts. And it's just as foolish as if I were to pull out my student loan payment form and send off a check and they would probably cash it because 
they wanted my money anyway, but they would, but why would I do that? It's already paid. Why would we pay for something that's already paid? You see, you're living in the old way and you're trying to pay for something that's already been paid. You're coming to him with things in your hands saying, look, Jesus, now can you forgive me? Now can you love me? Now can you accept me? And he says, you know what? None of that, even your best deeds, even your most righteous works are nothing to me. I just love you. And I'm just inviting you into something that's already happening. Come to me with nothing and step into the reality that I've already paid for it. You know, Jesus says, when you do this, when you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, to do it in remembrance of me. There's nothing fancy about that word remember. It's just simply to intentionally, deliberately bring something to mind. But he is talking about two different things that we remember. We remember what has happened and we remember what's going to happen. That part of it, when we take the cup and the bread every week here at Crossroads Church, and, and even more than that, this is something, church, we need to do every day, every moment. We need to remember what happened, that Jesus paid the price that you owed. And we need to remember what's going to happen. He says two times in this short text, until the kingdom of God comes. Did you notice that? You see, we remember that one day the kingdom of God will be fulfilled. That it will be completely here and, and, and his work is going to be over. Remember last week when Jared was talking about that Jesus was going to come again. After that, there's this event that the Bible calls the marriage supper of the lamb. And at the marriage supper of the lamb, you see, there's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more death, no more loss. None of it. And we, along with all of the other believers throughout the past and, and in the future, are going to gather together around the table and we're going to have a cup and we're going to have a feast and we're going to toast the Lamb of God. I can't wait for that day. In fact, I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. If you would close your eyes and try to imagine these words from John that he writes about the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. It says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty one reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You see, when Jesus says he's not going to drink of this cup and eat of this bread, until the kingdom of God comes, this is when he's going to do it. And when we do that, we're going to be celebrating his work completed, the ultimate communion that we will be with God and redemption will be over because it will be done. Restoration will be over because it will be done.
Do you need Jesus to change your story today? Do you need Jesus to bring in a plot twist? Because some of you right now are looking around and you're going, how, how did I get here? Like, how did I get to this moment in life? Some of you have broken some close relationships. You've broken trust. Some of you have turned to so many other things to try to dull the pain that now you're stuck and you're addicted. You see, God is not a God who's waiting for you on the other side, hoping that you get it right, waiting for you to change it and make right all of the things that you've done because he has already changed the story. We simply need to step into it. That's what he's inviting us into today. He's already written the check. The account is closed. Some of you are ready to take that step. Some of you have maybe made that step, but you've gotten lost and you've gone back to the old way. Wherever you're at, I would encourage you to text the name Jesus to the number on your screen because we want to walk with you through what this looks like. We want to walk with you what it means to live in the hope and the joy of the new covenant paid for by the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Father, we, we do come to you today humbly, and it's in the name of Jesus that we come to you. It's not in the name of our own works. It's not in the name of our own sacrifice. It's in the name of your perfect son, Jesus, who shed his pure and perfect blood on the cross, that we come to you today. And Father, we are just floored. God, we're floored by your goodness. We're floored that you, the king of the universe, would do something like this for us. God, I pray that that truth would just continue to sink in, that we would find ourselves shaking our heads, going, this is too good to be true. How can this be true? God, we love you. Thank you for paying the price that we could not pay. God, we accept it. We embrace it. Help us to live in it. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray these things. Amen. You see, this is why every week we take the bread and the cup. And if you have it, I want you to hold it in your hands like this. And I want you to look down at your hands for a moment and I want you to see what's there. You see, it's not your righteous deeds. It's not your good works. It's not you managing your sin enough. It's a very real and tangible representation of Jesus' sacrifice. You see, in these tangible elements remind us that he died on a very tangible cross. And these very tangible elements are given to you freely as you walked in. You didn't pay for them. These tangible elements are a picture of saving faith. That they not only nourish our bodies, but they nourish our souls because of what Jesus has done. And it's re with remembering what he's done and what's to come that we take the bread and we eat together.
And it's remembering what he's done and what's to come that we take the cup and we remember together. We're going to continue our worship today by singing and by praying together. If you would like to pray with someone, whether there's something that you want to celebrate with another person or something that's just going on in your life and your family and your world, whatever it is, Jesus says, bring your request to me. We get to pray with one another, which is a beautiful thing. And so there's people over here to your right under the sign that would love to pray with you. If you're online, there's people that would love to pray with you. Just click the button and they'll chat with you. All right, let's stand together as we continue our worship. As we started the service.